today we start our Advent series, uh, and today I start with creation. I want to start with an account shared by Jonathan Edwards, the famous, uh, famous preacher and theologian. Jonathan Edwards used to retire to solitary places uh, along the banks of the Hudson River during his time as a preacher, and he would just go there to contemplate for hours. And one of these times he was uh, riding on his horse and he came upon a view of the land uh, around him that just stunned him and stopped him right in his tracks. He saw God in an intimate and glorious way that day. And he writes about himself, The person of Christ appeared ineffably excellent, with excellence great enough to swallow all my thought and conception, which continued as I can near judge about an hour, which kept me for the greater part of the time in a flood of tears. He goes on to describe the transparency he felt uh, just laying in the dust, the same dust that God created man from. To feel the love of God and to know that God uh, was there for him, that he must depend and rely on God for everything, uh, it was so brutally clear to him in that moment. And this revelation and closeness with God for Edwards all came from just a time walking along the Hudson River. Edwards explains that it wasn't the first time that it had happened to him, and it certainly wouldn't be the last, where creation just reveals the essence of God to him. Maybe this is reminding some of you of some similar experiences, maybe while camping or on a road trip or going for a walk and seeing the night sky with the stars or a really big moon, Uh, maybe while going for a walk and seeing the rain. Whatever it is, I know I have memories um, from some of the places that I've been of just seeing creation and being stopped in your tracks and feeling an intimacy and closeness with God. And what is it about that moment? What is it about creation that allows us to feel that? I think it's because creation points to someone, uh, something beyond ourselves, uh, someone beyond ourselves, points to someone who is good. And I think that creation points us towards God. As you heard in the video last week, that thing was a hit. God is writing his story, and the story is told in four parts. Creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. And what we want to do this Advent season is retell God's story, the story of goodness and grace, rebellion and restoration, each week reflecting upon these four realities as they are told by God in order to deepen our belief in God. And as we said, to consider the Christmas story without knowing what comes before or after the story of Jesus is like only reading the middle chapters of a really good book. And that's so true. I don't know if you've ever tried to read the middle chapters of a really good book, but it does not make sense. (laughs) Doing that, you miss out on some essentials. You miss out on character development, on the setting, the context, plot development. Um, You don't get to understand the end. You don't see how it resolves, where things are going. Uh, how the author wraps everything up. And so it really is important. It's really on a fundamental level, not just for the story here in the Bible, uh, but for our individual stories, all of us, for us to know the very beginning, to know about creation. So we're going back to that beginning, the very, very beginning for the Bible, for all of us, we're going to creation. And as any good story, you need to start with a setting, and a good setting is like a good foundation. The stronger and the deeper the foundation, the higher and more you can build upon it. Um, Conversely, the weaker and shallower the foundation, the story will follow in the same vein. But as we know, this is the the greatest story ever told. 
Um, and so the foundation is even more vital to this story than any other story. We're going to lay this foundation today so that in the preceding weeks we are able to have the fullest picture and framework with which to understand the greatest story and our story. When we talk about creation, I want to talk about it in two parts this morning. The days of creation and how they point to God, and then what creation reveals about God, a deeper look at his attributes. Throughout today, I want to emphasize that we believe that God is good, and all that he does is good. And we see this in the opening pages of Scripture. So if you want to get your Bibles out or your phones or electrical devices and turn to Genesis 1, the very beginning. I think it's safe to say it's page 1 for everyone. You guys can read along as I read out loud. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. Let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let there be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. 
And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Let me pray. God, we come before you right now, um, and we are thankful for who you are and what you've done. And God, we want to praise you for being the creator, full of majesty and glory. And as we go over your story again, that you would pray that you would use this, this time, this morning, this passage, to pour into us, to refresh us, to teach us, to draw us closer to you, God. I pray that even though it may be familiar, that we would see you in a new light, that we would come to know you in a deeper, in a new way. And God, that it would be with us. It would truly be in our hearts. So as we continue in this Advent season, uh, we remember the beginning of the story, God, where it all started. And that the rest of our faith, the rest of our story, could be built upon this, the beginning. pray that you'd be with us this morning. Be with me, Lord. Give me the words to say and the way in which to say them. And uh, we just trust you and we love you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. I want to start with the days of creation. These days of creation add intimate and intricate detail to the story. Remember, we need to go deep. We want to have a detailed background, the setting, the foundation. And so we're going uh, to the very first words of Scripture. Many authors have in their own words and in their own worlds described a creation of sorts, even God's creation. Uh, Tolkien describes the beginning of Middle Earth. C.S. Lewis describes the beginning of Narnia. Uh, and in the Space Trilogy, he, does, he tries to do it twice. And in these retellings of creation, or what a creation would look like, there's still so much mystery, and so much of the process is left to the imagination. C.S. Lewis, in the Space Trilogy, trilogy uh, describes in the book Paralandra a planet being created, and his character is present for creation. Uh, his character is present on the ground, and all of a sudden he finds himself being shot up into the air as God is creating a mountain. And then he finds himself sliding down that mountain and finds himself surrounded by water as God had just created the ocean. Um, His character feels the warmth and the cold and the glowing brightness of things coming to life and being created. And it's an interesting take on what creation might have been like if someone were present. But it still doesn't convey the clearest idea of everything about creation. It falls short of what creation was in an all-encompassing way. I think that's so because it's very hard for us to comprehend uh, the idea of something being conceived from the very beginning, coming from nothing. It's hard for us to comprehend that. We can try, and maybe some of us get it, but I know that it's, it's hard for me to grasp 
So there, you're saying there's nothing, and then there was something. That something had to come from something. But it's not so. Essentially, like these other stories, but far better, we've said this is the best story ever told. And it's true, and this is how it all starts. We see a wonderful display of God's sovereignty, uh, intelligence, and provision in creation. We have the first three days, which set up a framework and to be filled in by the following three days. Days one, two, and three. Uh, days one, he creates the day and night. Two, the sky and the sea. And three, uh, the land, the earth, and the plants and vegetation. And those are followed by day four, sun, moon, and stars. Day five, uh, the birds and the fish. And then day six, animals and man. And so you kind of see this framework in day one, the day and the night as a framework. And he fills that with, in day four, sun, moon, and stars. In day two, he creates the sky and the sea. And then in day five, he creates the birds and the fish to fill that. In day three, he creates lands and the land and plants. And then in day six, to fill that, he creates animals and man. And I love seeing this provision of God here and this wonderful progression of creation and how logical and intelligent God is in doing this. I want to get into each day of creation in just a second, but before that, I want to recognize and acknowledge the simple fact that God, simple and yet profound, that God created the entire universe and everything inside of it. Everything inside of it. Throughout the Bible, it is confirmed over and over again that God created everything. In Genesis, and Psalms, and Nehemiah, and Ecclesiastes, Isaiah, Jeremiah, John, Acts, uh, the list goes on. But everywhere throughout the Bible, it confirms that God created everything. Grudem makes the point that God created out of nothing. That the only thing that existed before creation was God, and therefore God created everything that was not God. And he did so with a purpose. And what an amazing comfort it is that he created. We're not here because of an accident or a fluke or by chance, but we were created with purpose. We just celebrated a holiday of being thankful uh, for things in our lives, and I hope that we were thankful for all the things, little and small, um, and we can thank those, hopefully we did, those around us in our lives uh, for some of those things. But the biggest thing that we can be thankful for is life itself. And we have God to thank for that. He created us and he created everything. So here are the days of creation and how they point to God. Day one, Genesis 1-3, and God said, let there be light. And there was light and God separated the light from the darkness. Creating night and day here. Psalms 33 says, Oh, sorry, before that, this points to God's creation of day and night, points to and even establishes that God in his infinite wisdom and sovereignty is the creator. A simple fact, day one, to me, points to the fact that God is the creator. Psalms 33 says that by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. So God is creator we are creation in that order. We look to him as the creator. Day two, so we just had day and night. Day two, uh, Genesis 1, verses 6 through 8, uh, describes God creating the sky and the sea. And these point to the steadfastness of God as the sky and sea are reminders of the present that someone, uh, of someone who's bigger than us, more vast than us, more all-consuming than anything we have seen. 
He's a big God. He's a big, big God. And it's just so, it's so evident as we continue. Day three, God created land and vegetation. This points to uh, his work. The fact that it's of him. He did it. The earth is of his craftsmanship. No one else. Um, and as I was thinking about this point, and I was sitting in my office looking around at land and vegetation, um, I was reminded of this show uh, that maybe some of you watch called The Antiques Roadshow. It's a personal favorite of mine. Um, and they bring all these pieces in, uh, these furniture, paintings, whatever it may be, sculpt. Uh, yeah, there's tons of things that they bring in. And these experts, these appraisers, talk about if these pieces are uh, real and how much they're worth and how much you should insure them for. Um, uh, these work of famous artists, sculptors, craftsmen, they can tell whether something is authentic or whether it's fake. Uh, and they do this by looking at other pieces that that designer, that artist has made and looking at the similarities and certain characteristics that that artist or craftsman includes in each piece of their work. And it's fascinating to see uh, just the process being played out. And it can be disheartening and a letdown when the person finds out that it's a fake because um, they've been cherishing it for so long and it's not real. At the same time, you can see the incredible joy when they find out that it's a real, authentic, whatever it is, um, because you know they're going to cherish and protect it and enjoy it with a whole new light. Um, and so I was thinking that I was looking out at the land and the vegetation on our church property here um, and just seeing that God is the master craftsman. And we can go look from creation to creation and see his characteristics, see his imprint on everything that he has made. Tree to tree, from, sky, from sea to sky, from flower to the rose bushes out front, from animals to the rain, and just see his work everywhere. We know who the artist is. We know that there is nothing fake. It's not a forgery. We know that it's authentic, and we know that his work is good. And the Bible also uh, affirms that in Genesis and Psalms uh, and Exodus, and again, throughout the Bible, uh, that it is, a, it is of his craftsmanship. So that was day three. Day four, God created the stars, the sun, the moon, and um, in Genesis 1, 14 through 19. And to me, this points to his infinity and complexity. It speaks to the depth and the height of God. It points to his intel intelligence and omniscience and knowing what we will need. Through the creation of the stars, the sun, and the moon, in a small way for us practically, and in a larger sense for us spiritually, he provides direction and time. And I love that. Uh, I wish it was, uh, growing up and reading books, I always wish I had the ability to, you know, look at the stars and know exactly where I was or know where I was supposed to go um, or know what time it was by setting up some kind of sundial. I think I was supposed to learn it in Boy Scouts, and I never did. Um, but God provided all that. And uh, reading that here, you see that it was with purpose. He did that with that intent. Day five, God created sea creatures and birds. And this speaks to God's provision as they provide both work and sustenance for man. And the same with animals on day six. And so all throughout creation, you just see God being purposeful, uh, being intentional, and you see that it is all good. Genesis 1, day six, uh, Genesis 1, 24 and 26, God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, 
after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So this points to the creation of man, and points to, uh, points to God in some very interesting ways. And I want to camper for a bit. I want to ask the questions, how is the creation of man uh, like the other days of creation, and how is it unlike the other days of creation? We'll start with how it is similar. It's similar because the human race was created on the same day uh, as animals. Uh, It's similar because the human race was uh, created from the dust like the rest of the animals. As it says, Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens. In Genesis 2. It's also similar in the sense that the other days of creation were good and the creation of man was good. God started with man, and as we know, it was not good, and so he created woman, and then it was good. Man is like the other days of creation in that man is under the authority of God. And it's also like the other days of creation because it shows his sovereignty, his intelligence, and his purpose. The creation of man points to God. Now, how is it unlike the other days of creation? It's different because this was the pinnacle of God's creation, Personal between God and humanity. Man and woman were created for a relationship with him that would be absolutely different than anything else that he had created. How is it unlike the other days? The human race is given authority to have dominion over things with life. God has given human responsibility, uh, or humanity responsibility to preserve creation. Genesis 1.28 says, Fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on earth. So God has empowered us. Another difference is that the human race is created with the power of choice. And we see this almost immediately in chapter 2, as man gets to choose the names of the animals. We have a choice. The human race is different in the sense that it's created dependent upon God. While God is above his creation, his creation is dependent on God, Jesus says that we need God just as much as we need to eat daily. We need him in our lives. It's different because humanity, and this is probably the biggest difference, was created in God's image. Our purpose, their purpose, uh, was that they were created not only in the image of God, but to image God. I'll say that again. We were created not only in the image of God, but to image him. We are to image God in our relationships, in our language, in our marriages, in our ruling, in our managing, in our work, in our schooling, in our homework, in our daily lives, in our rest. We are to be images of God wherever we are. Humanity is set apart from the rest of creation and given the responsibility and honor of ruling over the earth. With this responsibility and the blessing of being made in the likeness of God, our purpose is made known and is very clear. It's to glorify God and to make him known. So this is day six, the similarities and differences between creation and man. And then to wrap it all up, day seven, there was rest. We were created to rest. God, who didn't need rest, was setting an example for us. For although he is infinite, he created us finite. He knew that we would need to rest, and through his omniscience and his love, he is, uh, he is Father over us, leading us by example, resting so that we know to also rest um, as we live our lives. Creation, these six days of creation, and I know I covered them very quickly, but I'm trusting that 
you can take it deeper in your studies and in your time in the Word throughout the week. Um, I just want to make sure we get the fullest idea of this foundation of the story. Creation reveals the character of God, and creation was good. It says that over and over and over again. Almost every, after every day, creation was good. It was good. These days of creation not only lay the foundation for the story of the Bible, but for the world today. The story is not dead. It is still alive. Each of the seven days of creation is relatable to us because we live in this world that was created, and it points to God constantly. So this brings me to part two. What does creation reveal about God? A deeper look at the attributes of God. These foundational stories of Genesis set the stage. It's here we learn that God is king over all of his creation, which is everything. So the Lord reigns, he reigns in the fullest and highest meaning that that word could ever carry. God reigns like no one else has ever reigned before. We learn that he uh, has made, he has made well, he's chosen his image bearers to be humans. Humanity was created with the purpose of being in close and glad relationship with their heavenly father. Something that is very evident if you look at how the rest of creation functions. And something to value, something to be thankful for, is that we have that intimate and close relationship with God, unlike the rest of creation. But I want us to take a step back and just reflect on the fact that God created. As we're focusing on these attributes of God through creation, I want us to realize, and it's important to realize this, God was perfectly happy and content and self-gratified before creation. It would be a mistake to think that God needed to create in order to address any sort of feeling of being unsatisfied. We should not think that God needed more than what he had within the Trinity. He was not incomplete in any way. We do not fulfill him in any way. To make this mistake would be to deny God's independence and to imply that God needs us to be fully God. And again, this is just not true. The very fact that he created speaks to his desire to bless, to look outward, to look outside of himself, to do good, and to love. Grudem says, when we first realize that God does not need to create us and does not need us for anything, we could conclude that our lives have no importance at all. But scripture tells us that we are created to glorify God, indicating that we are important to God himself. He also states, God created the entire universe out of nothing, uh, and it was originally very good, and he created it to glorify himself. So this, again, clarifies the question, what did he create us for? To bring glory to himself. We do have a purpose. It is not for us, it's for God, but we do have a purpose. We find that throughout the Bible, in Isaiah 43, Psalms 19, Revelations 4. So God is God without us, but has blessed us by creating us. And we have the opportunity and blessing incredible honor of knowing him and being in close, intimate relationship with him. So, to the attributes of God. Because we are images of God, we can look at this creation story straight from the source and see what can we learn about ourselves. What, we can ask the question, what does this tell us about God? Uh, who are we modeled after? We do have and we do bear his image, so what does his image look like? And we can do this all throughout the Bible here. Uh, we can see God and who he is all throughout. Um, but there's a unique opportunity in uh, how the Bible works. There are some books that are part of a series that you can read out of order. Um, 
because maybe the vital information is set in all of them. And so you can start in book three and go back to book one, and you'll be fine. Um, for me, this happens every time I read Tolkien. I can start in my favorite book, which is the last one, and it still opens up things in the very first book. Um, there are some books that you can read over and over again, and every time you read it, you can't wait to get back to your favorite parts or places that you're familiar with. And along the way, something new sticks out to you that you didn't notice or uh, appears in a, in a different way, uh, reveals itself in a, in a new way. Uh, maybe you pick up on something, a relationship or a correlation of some detail um, in the story, and it unlocks this meaning, uh, you know, this deeper meaning of or the sequence of events and the depths of the character or the minds of what they're thinking, and it opens up the story in a new way. And this creation story in the Bible can be like that. It's the beginning, yes, uh, but you can read other parts of the Bible first. I don't, when I say to someone, start reading the Bible, I don't always say start in Genesis. I may say start in Romans, uh, start in the New Testament. Um, but having read those other sections, having read and understood the character of God from those sections, you can come back to Genesis and see it in a new light. You can see his sovereignty, the power, the love that God pours out in these verses. Likewise, creation helps us to understand the rest of the Bible. It helps us to see where and how and why it all started, why we exist, and help us to see uh, what we believe about Christ, the need for Christ. And I found this helpful when going through these attributes so there are nine things that this story of creation here in Genesis proclaims about God. Nine attributes that we can know of God, that we can learn about God, that we can praise God for. And I'm sure there's more than nine that we can find in this story, but there's nine that I want to focus on today. So creation speaks of God's nature and character through number one, his revelation of himself. As it says in Job, the world around us, the birds, the animals, the fish, and the sea will proclaim God. I think we sung that this morning, and it was great. They'll educate us on our Creator, our Lord. And it says that all that has life is in His hands. So His creation reveals God, reveals the Creator. Number two, His eternal power and divine nature. Paul says in Romans that His eternal power and divine nature have been evident since creation. Paul is saying, you can read from the very beginning and you'll get it right there. You don't have to read so far into the story. From the very beginning in creation, you need, uh, you need to look no farther uh, to see God's eternal power and divine nature. And Jeremiah adds, he did it all without hardship. Nothing is too hard for God. It was not a strain for him to create. His power is forever and ever, and he is God forever and ever. He has no beginning or end. Number three, his authority. As creator, he has authority over all. And in a conversation to Job, the Lord himself reminds Job of his authority and shares with Job how and when he established his authority, which was through creation, the creation of everything. Creation itself proclaims that God, as creator, has authority over all that he created. And we, as creation, are under that authority. Number four, his glory and majesty. The psalmist describes how creation declares the glory of God. His majesty is shown clearly as we consider the heavens. Um, his glory and majesty are something that we revel in and praise him for forever. Number five, his love and faithfulness. Jesus references creation as a way to describe his faithfulness to us and his provision to us. 
It says in Matthew, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, and tomorrow is thrown into heaven, will he not much more clothe you? We can know from looking at how God sustains creation that he will be faithful to us. That evidence surrounds us every day. Again, that same moment that I was thinking of land and vegetation. I mean, you can stare out your front yard and just look at how things come back, your, your garden that you may have, and how the plants work and the flowers die and you've got to replant, whatever it is. You can see all that, and it points to how God uh, sustains, how he is creator. Um, the evidence literally surrounds us every day. And in, uh, to support this too, the psalmist speaks of the sky to describe the vastness of God's love for us. And I'm sure you guys have, seeing especially a night sky, if you get up out of the foothills and into the mountains where there's no city lights, uh, it is breathtaking to see the vastness of God's sky and all the stars that he put there, all the, the planets and everything that he provided with intentionality and purpose for us. Okay, number six, his power. We know that God is all-powerful, uh, and this is one of the boldest attributes that sticks out in my mind as I read the creation story. It's not just that his power was in a moment, but it's everlasting. Um, it says in Isaiah 40, 26 and 28, Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. What a comfort to be able to know that God is all-powerful, above all, and that he created all. Um, it's just incredible. Number seven, his wisdom. Creation reveals his great power and wisdom far above anything that could be imagined by any creature, any creation. God's creation reflects and reveals his infinite wisdom. It is a world that is intelligent, uh, that is of intelligent design. It doesn't reveal, this world does not reveal a disconnect between the world and God. Rather, it shows a connection, a strong connection between the world and God. Sadly, people today see this so backwards and think that God's wisdom is outdated or doesn't apply. But in truth, it is something that is far beyond anything that we can comprehend. Again, I'm just touching the surface, even on these attributes, uh, but hopefully just by mentioning them and presenting them to you, they are reminding you of who God is. Number eight, his unchangeableness and eternality. His creation will come to an end. We will come to an end. But we know that God is not created. He has no end. He is eternal. Psalms uh, 102:26 and 17 says, They, the creation, will perish, but you will remain. But you are the same, and your years have no end. Again, we may struggle to grasp the infinite because of our finiteness, but we can look at creation and know that as we see, again, the things that may come to an end, the things that die, that God is not of the same nature. God is unchangeable and eternal. And number nine, his spiritual work in believers' lives. Creation is also a reference point for us to understand God's work in our lives. Several times, Jesus uses parables and creation as a guide, as a reference, as the symbol in the story to represent us. And because we know creation, we can better understand the way in which God is working in our lives 
We can better understand the parable of the sower, of the weeds, of the mustard seed. We can better understand the psalms and the psalmist's exclamations and praises to God. The most important spiritual work that we'll be able to see will be revealed in the coming weeks. But these are the nine attributes that creation reveals about God that stuck out to me. His revelation about himself, his eternal power and divine nature, his authority, his glory and majesty, his love and faithfulness, his power, his wisdom, his unchangeableness and eternality, and his spiritual work in believers' lives. So in conclusion, the setting of the story has been laid. The world in the context has been set. The foundation is ready for the rest of the dramatic twists and turns, thickening plots, and for the greatest story to unfold. We looked at the six days of creation and the attributes of God. And if we had to summarize all these points, if we had to summarize everything from the days of creation to the attributes of God uh, to the most basic, most basic, basic level, we could say that God is good. We believe that God is is good. And I don't know what's going on uh, in your lives right now. Maybe you're feeling the stress, anxiety of the upcoming holiday season, as Wayne mentioned. It's, it seems like there's something on the calendar every day, every weekend. Um, maybe something is going on at work, uh, starting to weigh you down. Maybe there are some health issues going on in the family, and looking forward is getting harder and harder. Uh, maybe you're feeling an emptiness or a loss at the moment and wanting comfort, or maybe you're dealing with anger and bitterness. Maybe you're dealing, uh, or you're feeling confused or lost. And whatever it is, whatever you're feeling, you need to be reminded of and know that God is good, and all that he does is good. When I first started to prepare for this sermon, my challenge was not preaching the entirety of the gospel. Uh, I really wanted to mention sin. I wanted to, you know... I want to get into that. Uh, but not mentioning sin and uh, the need for God uh, was hard, but then someone reminded me of a great truth that sometimes we in the church need to hear that God is good and just that simple fact that God is a good God. He's not a mad dictator. He's not disconnected. He's not just some guy in the sky. He's not just around on Sundays or just in church buildings. He's present. He's good. He created. He's our creator. He has authority over us, and he loves us. He's a good God. And this Christmas and the busyness and craziness, we need to pause and reflect on that goodness of God. How often in our prayers do we skip straight to the needs, our worries, our hopes, our, um, yeah, our desires without dwelling on and meditating on who God is, his character, his perfect love, the wonder found in his creation. Um, I know I am guilty of that too, starting my prayers and getting immediately to me without focusing on who God is or thanking him for being good. So at this part of the story, here in Genesis, Genesis at the end of Genesis 1 and part of 2, humanity is enjoying unbelievable goodness uh, with God, enjoying the beauty of creation, enjoying fellowship with God as he created it to be, until it all changes. Uh, humanity then, in a moment, became as we know humanity today, fallen. Humanity turned from that goodness. And that story shifts, and next week Pastor Wayne will continue to build on this foundation with the fall. But for now, let me pray and, and uh, as we remember that God is good. 
God, you are good, and you uh, created all. You created it all good, uh, and we are thankful for that, God. And um, again, just in the busyness of life, as uh, it is busy, and there's a lot of, there's just a lot happening around us, um, and not all of it good, God. There are hard struggles, bad things happening around us, God, and we need you in that. We need you for that. Um, But I pray that uh, this reminder of you being a creator and seeing your creation would be a comfort to us. God, that we would remember that you are good, that you are infinite, that you love us, that you uh, are majestic and glorious. Uh, God, that you are loving, that you're gracious. God, that you're outside of our, um, our finiteness. God, you are infinite. You're faithful. God, we're appreci- we really appreciate your wisdom and the work that you're doing in our lives. And God, we pray that that would continue, that you would continue to work in our lives. We know that you will. Um, and we love you for that, God. So we, just, we praise you for that. Uh, you are deserving of all of our praise. Um, and we pray that all the glory would go to you. And as simple as it is, God, as we leave the church today, as we're driving home, In the coming days, God, as we see your creation around us, as we look out the front uh, window and see the garden, uh, the trees, whatever it may be, um, even just for a split second, I pray that we would be reminded uh, that you are the creator and that you are good, that you love us. So we pray this in your name. Amen.